Amen. Amen. Our second reading this morning comes out of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And it reads, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Look, God, we thank you for this gathering of your people that we might uh, hear a word from you this day, O oh God. We pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds that we may receive all that you have for us this day, O oh God. That we may get a deeper understanding of you and that we might leave this place differently than we've come. We thank you, O oh God. We believe in all the things that you're going to do in turning our hearts around to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am back by popular demand. Or I'm back by default. It's up to you. You choose by the end of this sermon. During this time of this lockdown where you can't really get out to go many places to do many things. Um, I've been working with a spiritual director and he has said, Chris, you need to start writing. To get at least your thoughts out and things that are on your heart and your mind and ways that you can express yourself. Um, if not for anyone else, at least for yourself. So I began doing that. So you are the beneficiary of my writing practices today. Or you are a prisoner to my meandering mind and whatever I have written down on this paper. But in this time, I've found myself reading things that I typically would not have picked up, um, looked at or even really considered. And I've been kind of, um, I guess, intrigued by the idea of the early 1900s and the Harlem Renaissance in particular. There is a book by Elaine Leroy Locke called The Voices of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, But the original name of the book is The The New Negro and Interpretation. And it's a compilation of songs and poems and dramas and all all types of things uh, that Locke compiled from various artists, uh, Langston Hughes, um, Zora Neale Hurston, you, you, you name it, it's kind of all in this book. And I was kind of intrigued and amazed by this. So I picked it up, started reading it. Um, and there's a section in here, um, a portion of a drama that was written um, by uh, Montgomery Gregory. 
And in this um, section, he talks about the idea of coming together in this country, in this world, as a melting pot. That we have been drawn together, perhaps, and we've come together as one. However, the world may actually may not really be that way. Montgomery goes on to say, it seems to feel like it's more like a symphony. That we all come together playing our own part, but playing them in harmony. So that we create this beautiful sound and song together, not just melding down into this one thing. When he kind of wrote this, it did struck a chord with me. Because I remember growing up in school when reading various uh, sociology texts and we would talk about how this country was somewhat of a melting pot, how we all come together and we're all now this one group and this one people melting down into what I come to understand later to be one dominant culture. So that you essentially would lose yourself into whatever it is that is there. When I hear this today, you don't really hear that term so much anymore. But I hear it in other ways. I hear it in ways where people may say or say things that I've, to me, and that you probably have heard to say, I don't see color. I, I don't, I don't see race. I don't see difference. And the way a lot of people interpret this, including probably myself, is that you don't see me. This whole idea of not seeing, meaning that we've closed our eyes to the possibilities and the differences that are in front of us as if differences are wrong, are bad, are fearful. Something that turns us away from one another. In our Galatians text this morning, we see Paul and Peter going at it. I love this text. I love this text because when we think about Peter, we think to Acts, and isn't this the same Peter that had this vision on top of his rooftop of this blanket being let down and all these various foods that were came before him and he told God no I'm not going to eat is this the same person who had to go to Cornelius's house this Gentile this Roman soldier that he might break bread with them and share the gospel that they may also receive the spirit of God this is the same Peter that now shows up at Antioch and he's acting a little bit different but it's the same Peter But wait a minute, preacher. So you're telling me that the Peter who had a word from God, who said, don't call anything bad that I have made. You you need to eat whatever I place before you. The same Peter that received this revelation and actually went and did the work of God is now acting differently. Wait a minute. So when God speaks to us one time, that's just not it. So when we get this one word from the Lord and we understand what is right and what is wrong, and this is what thus saith the Lord, that doesn't just change us instantly for all time? What do you mean? How does it not work that way? Even Peter, even Cephas, as Paul says, 
who walked with Jesus, who have these direct revelations from God, who stands before so many and proclaim this good news, still falls backwards, takes takes 10 steps back and falls into his own habits and own ways. Because the way that sin works, it keeps coming and coming and coming. It doesn't just stop that one time because we realize, oh my gosh, what I've been thinking, what I've been doing, it has been wrong this whole time. I think I'm woke now. Peter was woke for a moment, but he definitely went back to sleep. When I think about this text, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be somewhere very, very quiet, and you kind of hear a train coming in the distance. You kind of hear the, you kind of hear it coming. It's making its way. It's not quite there yet, but you feel it encroaching. It's coming up upon you. Sin works in that same way. It doesn't necessarily always show up right in your face and it's, oh my gosh, this is so wrong. No, sometimes it slowly and steadily creeps up on you. You hear it in the distance. You know it's there, but it's not in your face yet, so there's no danger. So it seems. But it is that whistle in the distance when we really need to pay attention. It is that whistle in the distance that when we know something is coming and coming our way, that we need to stop it, do something about it right then and there. Peter is sitting with the Gentiles and he is breaking bread and he is eating. He is in community with these people. He is in community with them. The way we know that they are together in community is because they're sitting down and they're eating together. They're talking about the various things of their day. They're talking about the gospel. Maybe however his experience with Jesus. They're just talking. They're being together. They're being one. And then all of a sudden, some of those Jews of the circumcised sent from James or from James' group comes. And when they come, Peter notices, oh, perhaps that was my old squad or my old crew and or people who I identify with from when I was in Jerusalem. And he begins to separate himself from breaking bread with the Gentiles who were there and began to make his way over to this other crew. It's like a horrible scene in the 1980s movies when kids in the lunchroom don't want to sit down with one another and they push your tray over or slide over so there are no more seats available. Peter's now sitting with his old crew. And not only is he just sitting with them, but he's treating the people who he perhaps even brought to the gospel really, really wrong. He begins to ignore them, perhaps. He begins to sneer at them. He begins to act really funny about touching them in or their food because perhaps those who have come, those Jews from Jerusalem, perhaps, or from James's crew, may say, oh, you're unclean like them. This was a really big problem. And Paul wanted to have nothing to do with this at all. He was not okay with it. Because not only did Peter begin to do this himself, but then he began to encourage others around him, like Barnabas, 
who is there to also begin start acting in this way. It's so easy to break apart community. It's so easy to step away and say, oh, well, I change my mind, especially when you have the power to make things different. Peter had the power to say to those who have come from out of town, come sit with us. This is how we do things here. I know what your experience may have been and how you may have felt growing up, but let me break some things down to you. No, that wasn't his approach. He decided, I'm going to come over here and be with these folks. When we think about faith, I think about this kind of conjoined twins of faith and bias. They seem to go hand in hand a lot of times. And when we come into faith, there's a natural separation that begins to happen when we begin to have the separation within ourselves about who we are and who we used to be and what we used to do and people that we used to know. And we want to separate ourselves from those things completely and those people completely. And I understand that and I completely get that. And sometimes we definitely need to break away to come to ourselves and come to who Jesus is to us. But when we begin to show bias and believe that though there is no redemption for those people as if there was no redemption for us, now we have a problem. What happens when our actions are inconsistent with the gospel? What happens when the world around us is looking at us, the church, and saying, wait a minute, what does your Bible say about how you're acting right now? What, what, what does your Jesus say about what you are doing? What happens to us? What happens to the world as they observe? When the things that we do and that we say and how we treat community begins to break down. And Paul says this to Peter. How do you expect to teach someone the gospel? How do you expect to go out? How do you expect for us to live into this thing that we've been working on and talking about this whole time when you're acting like this? What do you think they will learn and understand about you? Not only you, but our Jesus that we're talking about. How can they believe anything is true? When you've decided to put down and put aside and push aside these faithful folks who love Jesus just like you. Community doesn't mean that we always have to agree on everything. To always come into a point of agreement is that whole melting pot idea, right? We become one thing. We're like a, a bottle of milk. We just... It's just us, all of us here. There's no difference in, in, at, at all whatsoever. But in community, we actually grow because of the differences. Where we actually come together and we see one another for exactly who we are, where we come from, why things are the way they are, so that we might approach this from a position of learning and being a student versus coming into a community and thinking that we're going to be the teacher. I've been grappling with this idea that our liberty is bound up in one another. 
our liberty, our freedom, is bound up in one another. If we stay in our remote corners of society and of the world, we are now siloed and we are prisoners of our own demise. We don't know any different. We can't see any different. We can't learn anything any way different because we are separated from one another. It's almost like when boxers go into their corner and they're resting and then when they eventually come out, they come out ready to fight. When we retreat to our own corners and our own sections of the world and sections of society, when we come out and see something different, someone different, something that we quite don't understand because we've been isolated so long, we are ready to fight. But this text helps me to understand that when we come together, and I think Peter understood this, but he kind of got shook in the moment, is that his worldview began to expand. Instead of shrinking in the moment, which he did, he had the opportunity to grow in that moment. He had the chance to show Those who did not know any better, let me help you come out of your corner, come out of your silo, come over here and learn a few things. I'm not saying you have to sit down and eat all the things that we're eating. No, you don't have to have shrimp. I know that you're kosher. However, you should have this conversation. You should begin to talk and understand the gospel more fully. If that's who we proclaim to be and if that's who we say we are. The world today is forcing us in so many ways, and our culture is forcing us in so many ways to be isolated. That we are being pushed in separate corners of our society. Because as fragmented, the more fragmented we become, the less power we have as a community. You see, my liberation is bound up in your liberation because... When I'm free, you're free. And if, if I'm not free, you potentially, you can't be free because now you're worried. Now you're worried about what's happening out there. What happens when it comes to me? What, what happens about the, the world as it begins to take over where I am? We can really be closed off and in bubbles in our own communities. And we can do that for a time, but the world does change. And when it does change, where are we in it? We have to be different. We have to be the people God has is calling us to be. The issue oftentimes is that is a win-lose mentality. That if we come together, someone has to dominate. Someone has to be the ultimate person in this space. Someone has to control this society, control this thing. Versus the give and take that is actually required of us. One of my good friends, um, she's kind of a vegan sometimes. You know, depends on the week. She's a vegan. Um, but whenever that week comes around, uh, we used to be able to go out and have lunch every now and again. And I will always be concerned, so where do you want to eat? And she was so gracious to me. She would say, listen, we can go anywhere. I will find something on the menu. Don't worry about me. 
So for that moment, for that time, for that time together, we were able to sit down and have a meal together and sometimes forsake their preferences in that moment. So we wouldn't give up on the community and relationship at hand. The give and the take that's needed. We forego relationship. We forego community too often just to have our way. And not look to try that vegan sausage that's on that plate. It looks pretty good, but I'm not quite sure what that is. But I'll, I'll try that, though. Perhaps I'll like it. I mean, if I don't, I know better for next time. But it's these opportunities that we have to give up a little bit of ourselves just to invite the other person and the other groups and the other community and so that we might expand our own horizons to step into what it is that God is calling us into. We have to be intentional about building community. One thing that this pandemic has done is that it made us and has forced us to be intentional about the work that we do in church now. We have to. We can't assume that when we come to church on Sunday mornings now, everyone's going to be here. We can't assume how someone is doing because we're going to see them next week. Some of those things happen very, very easily, especially in our context. We take people for granted. We take those who are around us, oh, they're just going to be there. But now that that's not the case, we have to be intentional intentional about reaching out. We have to be intentional about making that extra phone call, thinking about other people, not just ourselves, being concerned about where other folks are. Are they okay? Are they healthy? I haven't heard from them. Setting up groups and committees to make these phone calls so that we can circle back around to one another. Is everyone okay? Because for the longest, truth be told, we're all guilty of this. I know I am. Oh, I'll see you next Sunday. Oh, have a great week. See you nine o'clock, right? Yes. Maybe coffee hour, perhaps Sunday school, maybe. Taking those times for granted, the built-in community that we have, but now we have to do a little bit more. Do the thing that God wants us to do and what we should have been doing the whole time. And not building up false relationships or very loose relationships, surface relationships. But now we have to get in one another's lives. We have to step in a little bit deeper. We have to step in a little bit closer. If we really want to understand and see how people are doing and live this thing out that God is calling us to. In our Nehemiah text, we see that Nehemiah did not have to come back to Jerusalem. He, he didn't have to come back to these people. He actually was probably doing pretty well in the kingdom where he was. He himself was fine. But he recognized and understood that the community where he had come from, where his people were from, was in shambles. So he had to be intentional to go back to this place to see what was going on so that we might rebuild the wall and the gates that had been burnt down and broken down. 
This idea took intention. This was something that had to happen. It was a burning within his soul that he had to do something. It wasn't just about him, where he was sitting, where he was eating, how he was doing, because he was all right. He had the ear of the king. He didn't need to go anywhere. But what he decided to do, I have to go back and see what's going on with the people who are living in shambles. With the people who are living among the rubble. With the people who are exposed to to marauders and all those who don't care about them. I have the resources and wherewithal to take what I have and go over to this place that I might do something. Not just stay in my bubble. Not just stay in the place that is safe for me. Not just stay where me... And mine are fine. But that I might go down to Jerusalem and and survey, assess the problem, assess the damage. That I know I can't rebuild this wall on my own. I know I can't do this myself. But what I can do is begin to galvanize and build community where we are. Help everyone to see that. It's not okay that these walls have been broken down and that we're exposed in this way. We are a better people than this. Let us come together that we might build this community together. It took intention to go. It took intention to survey. Then it took intention to build community. Then it took intention to then build the wall. There were so many steps and layers to this that Nehemiah had to go through. And also when he was there, come up against those who did not want this wall to happen at all. But pushing through all of those challenges, pushing through all of those things because there was a greater work at hand. This community deserves to be rebuilt again. This has a lot to do with us because there are actual physical communities not too far from here that are in shambles. There are physical communities here not too far from us who walls have been broken down and have been broken down for a very long time. There are those who are not too far from us today who need the resources and need someone to help galvanize the community, come together that we might learn from one another, become one and build together the society that God desires for us to have. But there are also people, individuals, some folks that we know who may be in this place or at least live in this vicinity, whose lives are in shambles. Their walls of security are broken down. Their, their, their social constructs are in shambles. They don't know what to do with themselves or who they are. They have lost all aspects of reality and life. And they need help to help rebuild who they are as a person. All these various ways in that we must... Step into what God is calling us to We might help one another. Be next to people. Because when they are liberated and free, so am 
I. In Southwest Philly, I pastor a church. I'm executive pastor of Salt and Light. Uh, but I'm also the convening pastor of The Commonplace, which is a 501c faith-based nonprofit. We typically have um, after-school programs that we run and summer programs that we um, run and various activities for kids. And it is a great time with family and children. But when everything went down for us, we were no longer able to do those activities. So we had to make somewhat of a pivot. The church and the commonplace came together and realized that food insecurity was a problem where we were. So we began um, a food cupboard and our food bank where we can offer food every week. Made a few phone calls, called a few friends, got a few connections and made things happen. We turned this thing around within about a week or two. We were up and running, making it happen. Virtual high fives all around or elbows or whatever. We would have been very happy and proud of ourselves that we can go from not having this program at all to actually running something like this within such a short period of time. But the more we thought about it and we sat around and said, you know what? This was great that this could happen, but this ministry and providing food was a great thing, but that wasn't the real point. What we realized is that everything that we have been trying to do has been really built around creating community. And the ministries that we were engaging in in those times, and especially right now, even with the food pantry, is just one of those mechanisms that we use to bring people together so that we still might have community. We didn't want to lose sight of a young man, a young woman who lives four or five blocks away, whose child can't come to the program anymore. No, we still want to know how you're doing and what you're doing and where you are. Those seniors who would come on Sunday mornings and this was their only time to really get out. And now they're sitting sedentary in their homes and, and in their apartments. How can we come together to visit you, drop off some food for you so that we might have some one-on-one and face-to-face interactions? The ministries that we do and the things that we engage in are more than just programs. But we're not just trying to give out and, and change things and say, here, I'm helping you. Here you go. I feel good about myself now. That's not what this is. But every time we reach out and we do the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are building community because that is the work that God is calling us to do. As we give as we give of ourselves, we are also receiving from the person who was there. Everyone has value. So when we step into these places and we step into these things, we're going into our ministries. We have to realize the ministry is a great thing, but that is not the end, the means to the end. Because the end of all that we do, the end of all God is calling us to do is that we might begin to truly understand what it means to love on one another. We are called the people of God. We are called those who are followers of Jesus Christ, the one who went to the lepers, the one who um, uh, went, went out to the Gentiles at times and spoke to them, and or the ones who touched people he wasn't supposed to touch, the, the one who sat with communities he wasn't supposed to sit with. Are we following that, Jesus? Are, are we following that risen Savior? Are we following the one who came and looked at us 
and said, you may not feel like you deserve all that I have to offer to you, but it's not about how you feel. It's about how much God loves us. We've been called to be the hands and the feet of the Lord. We've been called to be salt and light in this world. We've been called to build community with one another. My liberation is bound in your liberation. The word of the Lord.